this is just unseen by anybody. I mean, you have to be a psychic or a future uh, sort of uh, a spiritual guru of some sort to be able to tell this was going to happen. Hello and welcome to the Arabian Business Podcast, where we talk about the headlines of the world and other issues that impact you, our listener. My name is Bernd Busman Jr. and I'm Chief Reporter at Arabian Business Magazine. The voice you just heard was John Sene, a global speaker, foresight strategist, and best-selling author. His latest book, Foresight, revolves around how to future-proof businesses and people in an age of disruption. As we all know by now, we're currently going through a period of almost unprecedented disruption ourselves as a result of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. As a result of this, we're joined by John via telephone rather than in the AB podcast studio. Thanks, John. Thanks for taking the time to speak to us. I know this is strange times. I'm sorry we couldn't have you in the studio. My pleasure. I agree. Strange times. Strange times indeed. Of course, um, like we were saying before, you know, this is a particularly strange time. So, I mean, how how can you plan and conceptualize a future that might come out of nowhere? For example, I don't think any of us knew where Wuhan was or what a coronavirus was three months ago, four months ago, but here we are. Uh, and it's kind of taken over all our lives and, importantly, all our businesses. So, I mean, w- what we sit in right now is uh, famously being called a black swan. And a black swan, we've had uh, a few over the last uh, decade or so. We had, well, no, 2001, we had 9-11. Uh, then we had the 2008 crisis. And now we have this. These sort of things, I don't think anybody can prepare for. I mean, I think these things just really come left field. What I have always been speaking to organizations about is the move away from IQ to EQ to AQ. Now, we all know what IQ is. We all know what emotional quotient EQ is. But actually, what organizations need to become in the world today and moving forward is AQ, which is adaptable quotient. Is how flexible, adaptable is your organization in order to prepare for what's coming? Now, we all know that things are moving at a hell of a pace just normally in business and in technology, as business models change from supply and demand to business models called curate, match, and facilitate, which are fundamentally different business models. And we can get stuck into that a little bit later. But right now, this is just unseen by anybody. I mean, you have to be a psychic or a future uh, sort of uh, a spiritual guru of some sort to be able to tell this was going to happen. So I'm not in this world to be able to adjust to this, but I have already put out a bunch of articles and sort of the preparation to be vital through this process of massive shifts and change that we've come as an absolute surprise. And, you know, you, you speak all over the world and you, you must be people from all sorts of sectors and all sorts of different businesses. Do, do you find in general that businesses are prepared or not prepared to be adaptable in the face of one of these black swan events? Well, I think most businesses aren't because just most human beings aren't. I do think that some cultures are more uh, adaptable than other cultures. I think that certain leaders are more focused on the future and certain leaders are more focused on the past. So organizations are a shadow of the leaders. And if the leader of that organization is not adaptive naturally or not a visionary naturally the organization, then it's stuck in more efficiency processes and trying to make sure that you're reaching EBITDA but not really focused on recreating, reinventing, and recalibrating itself. I think Dubai, as a city country, is a fantastic example. Uh, The leader here is a visionary. 
and you can see how Dubai has molded itself on what's coming rather than what's been. So it changes. And I think just as far as adaptability is concerned, it's very linked to the leader and culture of that country and that organization. But Black Swan events, I don't think anybody is ready for these sort of Black Swan events. And they are the things that really bring about huge levels of innovation. And if you think about what happened in 2008, I mean, Airbnb and Uber were the absolute result of the crisis in 2008. So the silver lining is, is there is going to be things that are going to be coming out of this. We just have to make sure we are healthy and safe until those things do pop up. And that's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, for example, um, I've, I've seen recently a lot of people speculating that this, the, the coronavirus pandemic will kind of change the way offices are set up because now obviously a lot of people have to work from home and they're doing things remotely. I mean, I mean, I know it's still early days, but what sort of trends do you foresee might come out of, of this Black Swan event? Well, look, I mean, I think the, 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 the concept that um, this whole notion that we had a whole lot of luxuries around flying extensively, um, which I am very much part of that problem, um, buying fast fashion all the time, uh, consuming excessive amounts of meat and fish and chicken, and just being very luxurious in our celebration of capitalism and its peak that we have. And so what I think is going to be happening is going to be a minimalism trend that's going to be coming out of this, and the need for less. And already we're starting to see the younger generations really not enjoy the crass ways of people showing off their money from the older generations. And I think this is going to be the trend moving forward. That really the truth is we need, need much less. We don't actually need to be so gluttonous and so needy of recognition as we move into the future. So I think this is a stabilization of greed and this is a stabilization of excess. And I think the major trend that will come out is minimalism. That, that's interesting, too, because if, if that's the major trend that comes out of that, that has obviously a knock-on effect on a lot of different sectors. It could be, for example, people go out less, people you know fly less, like you said. Um, I think, I mean, that's quite a, a, a wide impact that would happen if, if minimalism was one of the things to come out of this, isn't it? Well, look, I mean, I think, I think the thing is, is, is we don't actually need to be consuming like we need to consume. We don't actually need to be going to fast fashion brands and shopping and having retail therapy. We need to get down to the crux of why is it that we need so much recognition as a culture? Why is it that we need to be in retail therapy? What is the crux? What are we trying to numb? What, what is the emotional state that we're trying to sort out? And I think if we really get down to the crux of it, it's, it's psychological issues and the need of recognition and more is more is more. And ultimately, on your fourth Rolex, you'll realize that you're still quite unhappy. <laughs> so, you know, we also need to wake up to the fact that there's other things that we need to be focusing on. And so, yes, of course, the repercussions are going to be huge, but also there'll be an uplift of many other sectors and many new ways for us to go about doing things. Interesting. So you're you're not necessarily of the, the school of thought, of which there's quite a few people now, that this is a very doom and gloom sort of situation. I mean, you, you think something positive will come out of this at the end? Well, look, there's three stages of panic. The first stage is doom and gloom. What the hell is going to happen? Nothing is certain. Everything that I had planned is now off the table. I'm in absolute survival mode. Do I have enough food? And am I safe? Is my family safe? Are we healthy? That's step one. 
step two is what are my plans to survive? Because you have to come out of doom and gloom and start making a plan. Because ultimately, if your business closes down, and many businesses will, what is the plan? So you have to come out of that sort of panic state. And then the third, third state is where are the opportunities? Where do I start adding real value to a world that has been spoiled for choice when all of a sudden many of the choices are taken away? So yes, I have gone through the what the hell is going on panic state about two weeks ago when I got a string of emails uh, canceling many, many, many of my conferences. In fact, 98% of my conferences have been canceled. And my main income is a keynote speaker at many conferences. So I had about 18 conferences canceled. So I did hit the what the hell is going on for 48 hours. And then I came out and made a plan. And now I've got online processes and webinars and a whole bunch of new solutions that I'm trying out looking for the new opportunities out there. So, you know, in, in the various things you've written, you, you use the, the term foresight uh, quite often. And of course, the, the title of one of your, one of your books, is that what yeah. you mean? Having the, that, um, you know, uh, I'm not sure what to call it, that continuum of, of thought in, in place beforehand. Is that what you mean by foresight? Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. Again, foresight can be, can be explained in many different ways. My, my thing with foresight is, what I started realizing and started seeing patterns in organizations, leaders, and just humans in general is that our perspective determines how we prepare for the future. And what, what happened with me is that when I first started speaking and writing books, I was so enthused about the future that I couldn't stop telling people about the new and exciting things that were coming. And every time I did a keynote or a strategy session for organizations, many times I would realize that after six months or a year when I visited them again, actually nothing had changed inside that organization. And so I kept diving deeper into what was stopping people in the inability to change behavior and prepare for the future. And so my latest book, Foresight, is really just breakdown of the different sites we have. In other words, the different perspectives leaders hold. And so the four sites that I go through, the first one is hindsight. And hindsight are people that are living in their past, projecting their past into the future. Most people do that because they are familiar with their past and they want their future to look a little bit like their past, just a little bit better. And that's impossible because the future doesn't look anything like your past. And so we have to get away from the fact of whether you're living in your memories or you're living in your future. And you need to decide. And that's a very difficult thing to do because most of us are living in our memory. The second site I break down in the book is something called plain sight. And plain sight are the people that I call the cynics of the world. And the cynics of the world are the people that can never see anything good. And they're the ones that believe in Newtonian science. And Newtonian science categorically says that our reality is objective. It's got nothing to do with us. And we are just pawns in this sea of reality. But quantum science is now proving to us the exact opposite. Quantum science is saying to us reality is subjective. What we look for is what we see. The world that we live in is happening through us, not to us. And so if you're a cynic, you're not taking the responsibility for quantum science and the reality that now has been proven by science, not some sandal-wearing, lentil-eating hippie. This is now being proven in labs and in science labs. The third site that we have, and I think that maybe the biggest problem we have in the world today is insight. And insight, are people with incredible levels of knowledge. They have all the degrees, the MBAs, the PhDs, the doctorates, and these things are excellent, excellent tools for the world we were in. 
Because the world we're moving into doesn't require the skills from yesterday, but a brand new set of skills. We are in a paradigm shift. It's not just a little bit different than 10 years ago. There's a paradigm shift that's happening. And what's happened in the world today is we're suffering from something called the expert problem. And the expert problem is somebody who's been so expertise and so well-educated in the rules of yesterday, it's very difficult for them to see what's actually coming because they are professionals of the world of yesterday. And so what we need to do is we need to get away from hindsight, plain sight, and insight, and we need to move towards foresight. And foresight is made up of two characteristics. The first characteristic is curiosity. Because our curiosity is unique to us as human beings, it makes us authentic and unique in a world where surplus of smart and clever people is everywhere. I mean, how many lawyers, accountants, doctors do you know? Hundreds and thousands. It's become a surplus society of the same type of knowledge. And so we have to move away from knowledge and move towards curiosity. And the second thing we need to move towards is wisdom. And what wisdom is, best described by Alan Watts, he says, the knowledgeable man has to learn something new every day, but the wise man has to unlearn something new every day. And so what we have to do is unlearn many, many, many things in order to be led by our curiosity into the future. Now, the magic happens is when you heal your past, when you unlearn what you used to know and you now start making decisions with your curiosity, you become incredibly powerful because you're not expecting anything to happen based on your past. And all your decisions are based on what makes you most excited, not what makes logical sense. Now, guess who else has got the same formation and, and unique factor of curiosity and wisdom that you do? Nobody. Nobody has that. And in the world that we're moving into today, what we need to realize is that the most important thing that you can do is be unique. And if you can be unique, you'll be celebrated. And when you celebrate it in your unique factor, there's no competition for you. You can just keep moving and being successful moving forward. And so foresight is the combination of curiosity and wisdom and how I believe that those two characteristics is what the world needs moving forward. That's interesting. I want to just uh, pick one thing you said, uh, you know, pick one thing you said out, um, you know, you said the word unlearning and I mean, let's taking, putting this in the perspective of businesses. Do you think then that the world needs to start kind of unlearning the traditional things that an executive is taught, for example, in an MBA program? Because like you said, the, some of those have been, some of these MBA programs are rooted in decades of practice from the past in hindsight. Okay. So great question. Yeah. So what I believe is through the world of industrial evolution and the linear world that we come from, it was a very clear process that we had to go through. Go to school, go to university, get married, have kids, work hard, get retired, play a little bit of golf and die. That was kind of the formation that we had, right? Now, that formation was all based on the world of supply and demand. If there was a demand, you would create a supply and keep marketing it and keep the propaganda up so that people could keep buying your product. In that world, incremental innovation was more than enough. If you just did what you did last year just a bit better, you'd create more profit, and that would be what would keep you ahead of your competition. But what has happened is that we've moved away from a world of linear, and now we've moved into a world of multi-adaptive sort of movement. Everything's changing, and from so many different directions. And so what happens is that the world of supply and demand, the model, the business model of supply and demand has moved to become a model called curate, match, and facilitate. And now curate, match, and facilitate is based on brand new skill sets and brand new business models. 
Because what we need to be focusing on now is disruption. And disruption is fundamentally different to innovation. Disruption is making your current business model obsolete to create a new business model. Now, let me give you an example. Spotify. Do you use Spotify? I do use Spotify, yes. So Spotify is a fantastic example of the business model of Curate, Match, and Facilitate. Curates the music, matches it to your taste, and it gets to know you better and better, and then facilitates it to you for $5 a month. Wouldn't you like to buy food like Spotify gives it to you? Like it gets to know your taste better, it gets to know your health better, and then the next thing you do, you just press one button and that exact meal that you need and love and being sort of like so intelligently curated with gets delivered to you. And it's already been paid for, it's already been facilitated. Now that business model, business um, MBAs don't teach, accountants don't teach, that, that accountants and MBAs and all those degrees were based on supply and demand. Now, if you have to make your current business model obsolete and create a new one, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to do that with your old education? You almost have to have a fresh set of eyes. Now, a brand that got stuck in the innovation loop was a brand like Gillette. They went from one blade to two blades to three blades to four blades to five blades to six blades. Anybody ask for those last four blades? No. But they didn't know what else to do. So they just did what they did yesterday, just a bit better. And guess what? They lost $8 billion last year. Why? Because the business model has changed. It's not so much the supply and demand business model. And we all know that Gillette shaving, it's so flippant expensive that they locked away in many pharmacies. And so now what happened is at the exact same time, a business called the $1 Shave Club with one blade got sold for a billion dollars while Gillette was losing $8 billion. Same business, not about blades, about efficiency, about personalization, about seamlessness, about curate, match, and facilitate. And so we need to understand that the skills you carry aren't always the skills needed for tomorrow's business model. And, and do you see any, any encouraging signs that these sorts of new skills and new business models, that they're, they're starting to kind of uh, be a larger part of the wider public uh, consciousness about how businesses are run? I mean, because there's, well, there's loads of examples of, of what, what you just said of, you know, a new business yeah. model disrupting a certain industry. Do you think yeah. that's had a knock on effect on the, you know, the wider global economy and how they understand um, business? Well, it's coming. I mean, Spotify is already a great, great example of it. And we're starting to see many other brands now start to pick up on this. And these curate, match and facilitate businesses are almost platforms that bring people together. So the overheads are very low and your profit margins are very high. And banking systems are being totally disrupted by this. I mean, in Russia, there's a bank that does this exact same thing and is now shooting the lights out. They don't have any branches. Their overheads are super low and they train and hire only Gen Zs and millennials. And they're now aiming at the Gen Zs and millennials. The biggest problem with these sort of old school businesses is that they have got decision makers in places of strategy positions that are making decisions for people they don't understand. So you've got a baby boomer or a Gen X trying to make decisions for a Gen Z. And the Gen Z consumer is like, listen, man, I don't, I don't want to buy products like you sell them to me. I don't care how good your marketing is. I want it to be brought to me differently. I want many things for free and I'm happy to pay for other things. So is it happening? Yes, it is happening with a new type of CEO that's out there. I call these new CEOs evolutionaries. These evolutionaries are shifting the very definition of success. So they're not measuring balance sheet to balance sheet. They're not needing that recognition of profitability and competition. They're much more collaborative. They're much more inclined to have an impact 
and make long-term profits rather than short-term profits. And that's why I was saying to you a little bit earlier is we're in a paradigm shift. We're in a transition phase between two different types of society. And the old school society is taking major strain because of the education system, because of what they defined as success. And this new world that we're moving into is slowly but surely starting to eat away at the profit margins of the old school businesses. And this is making people panicky and anxious. And I mean, in, in terms of, of timeline going forward, I mean, how, how long do you think the, this, this paradigm shift, shift will, will take? I mean, is this a matter of years, of, of, of decades? No, I think a matter of years, to be honest, because as consumers, what happens is that many people in the audiences I speak to who are heavily entrenched in major blue chip companies who do a supply and demand business buy services that are curate, match, and facilitate naturally, <laughs> which is always the funniest thing for me because they are the ones who love those curate, match, and facilitate businesses, and then they are the ones who keep selling supply and demand businesses. They just don't have the skill set. So what I'm suggesting to these companies is hire a new team. I call them the tomorrow team. Hire a new team that's running parallel to your business, that's creating new business models, servicing your existing clientele and new clientele based on new business model while you are keeping your current business model vital for as long as you can while building a new business model. This in many different industries will take different times. So for example, when it comes to oil and energy, we've got a longer sort of tail of when this is going to be kicking in. But when you look at music and clothing and food, it's already starting to kick in. You know, Uber Eats and Delivery Do and all of these are only a few more iterations away from totally personalizing their service to us, you know? So, you know, different sectors have different timelines. That, that, that's interesting. But I mean, of course, I mean, sectors don't operate in, in silos. So, if, you know, if one sector adopts these sorts of things, then I, I mean, I personally think that, you know, if one sector adopts it, then all every other sector follows eventually. Is, is that kind of what you're saying? Well, what I'm saying is that it's how, how entrenched are those sectors in their sort of, I don't know, in their business models. And, and, and like, for example, oil, it's very difficult to, 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 to disrupt that because you know, there's so many uh, companies and organizations and so many, um, what's it called, like um, supply chains that are in place. And for that to be disrupted is difficult. But if you look at food with like ghost kitchens coming up now with AI and data points becoming smarter, you can match your meal to you much quicker. You know, the, the constructs aren't as entrenched. So I don't know if one does and the other will automatically, no, but I think it will eventually, all of them will become curate, match, and facilitate based on data points and machine learning. But, you know, certain sectors are just easier to do. They're just like music. I mean, it's just an easier one to want to be able to disrupt rather than the other one. Perfect. Well, um, I think that's just about all the time we had. But uh, just before we go, um, for our readers who, who want to learn more about you and, and perhaps about some of the things you've written and spoken about in the past, how can they do that? Um, I'm, I'm lucky out of the seven and a half billion people alive in the world. Um, I am the only John Sane out there and trust me, I've searched. I'm really just seems to be the only John Sane. So J O H N and S A N E I, dot uh, com. I am on LinkedIn, on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm constantly sharing because I believe it's important to share as much information and knowledge as possible. So please join me on those platforms. I'd love to have you comment and add some value to your world if I can. And uh, so thanks very much for reading and listening to this. Well, uh, well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us again. I'm sorry we couldn't uh, do the podcast the, the traditional way, but like you said, the black swan came and kind of uh, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> disrupted things for us as here as well.
Exactly. Uh, well, thank you sure. so much, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get you in some time for a, for a proper sit down. I look forward to that. As always, thank you for listening in. At Arabian Business, we've been covering the coronavirus pandemic 24-7, including stories on how different businesses are responding to these challenging times. So please make sure to head over to the website and subscribe to the Arabian Business Newsletter for more updates. In the meantime, also make sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay tuned for another episode next Tuesday. I'm Bernd Busman. Thank you for listening.